Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, and today I'm joined in the studio by my colleague, Lindsay Swartz, and on the line from Afghanistan, Chaplain Derek Riggs. Derek is a lieutenant colonel serving the military in Afghanistan. Uh, He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, also a member of First Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. We have the privilege of talking with Derek from Afghanistan about ministry to soldiers in a war zone, the toll that these wars take on families, and just how churches can serve military members in their communities. Before we begin this conversation with Chaplain Riggs, I want to let you know about a really cool event we're hosting in a couple of weeks at the Southern Baptist Convention. If you're planning on being in Columbus, we encourage you to attend our event Monday night at nine o'clock. We're partnering with Nine Marks Ministries. So you'll have Dr. Russell Moore and Dr. Mark Dever taking your questions on connecting the church and the culture. Uh, You can get your tickets at our website, erlc.com, or I'll also have a link on my podcast page on my website at danieldarling.com. Or you can stop by our ERLC booth when you get to Columbus and get your free tickets there. So we really encourage you to mark your calendar while you're at SBC to be at this special event with Dr. Russell Moore and Dr. Mark Dever answering questions about connecting church and culture. But for now, let's join our conversation with Chaplain Derek Riggs. Well, Chaplain Derek Riggs, live from Afghanistan. Thanks for joining us here on the Way Home podcast. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So uh, we want to talk somewhat about the mission that you're that you're doing. This is one of many deployments you've had with the mm-hmm. U.S. Army as a chaplain. And so you're currently in Afghanistan. Can you speak a little bit about what kind of life is like over there for you and for the people in uniform? Sure. Where I'm assigned, um, the the level of responsibility that I'm assigned at, my camp is um, the living conditions are, are a lot more um, amenable than uh, than in some of the other spots. Uh, I've got some chaplains that go out to smaller fobs that are sitting on the side of a mountain. Mm. They might be you know stuck in a valley. They'll sleep in tents. Um, they will eat. MREs probably twice a day. They may or may not get a shower. Mm. Communication resources at some of these smaller camps around Afghanistan can be pretty sparse. Um, so, you know, having things like email, uh, phone calls, being able to do Skype and FaceTime and all that stuff, that might necessarily be available to them. Where I live, near Kabul, um, our resources that we have here are uh, a little bit better. You know, I have, I've got my own room. I sleep in a bed, which is, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. I've I've done uh, a few deployments where, you know, when you get to wherever your base camp is, you dig a hole and, you know, put your sleeping bag in it, and that's where you're sleeping for the next, uh, next few days or so. So I mean, living conditions it, it really depends on on where the soldiers are. I would say as a general rule in comparison to when we first came in at, into Afghanistan. Um, and I was, I was on you know, one of the, uh, the first units that came in right after 9-11. Um, our living conditions back then were very, uh, very sparse. I think I went for about uh, nine or 10 days before I had a shower. Some of the units that tend to be 
more mobile in the kind of missions that they do, will have considerably more sparse living conditions. They get very acquainted with dirt, rocks, <laughs> and mm-hmm. tree roots, you know, as their uh, their bedding material at night. Oh my. Well, Chaplain Riggs, you've been on several deployments now, you mentioned. What do you see as being the interest in Christianity and in the Lord among non-believers that you're around there? Would it be the same as just talking to our neighbors door-to-door here in America? Um, no, it wouldn't. Um, I, I wrote, I sort of kind of wrote one of the, a response down to this, one of the questions that you sent me. You know, kind of what um, what are the biggest needs, and you know what's your work among the soldiers in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. Um, I I consider what I do as a pastor in uniform mm-hmm. to be far more exciting and far more enjoyable uh, than a civilian pastor has in a church back home. Um, and here's the reason why I say that: uh, for an army chaplain, wherever the soldiers are. The chaplain is there. Mm-hmm. If the soldiers you know, are going out to the firing range to train, the chaplain will go out there with them and observe training and walk the lines and talk to them. If the soldiers deploy, the chaplain deploys with them. For a civilian pastor, um, he will see the members of his congregation two, maybe three times a week. Mm-hmm. An army chaplain um, lives with his soldiers, sleeps in the same place with his soldiers, eats with his soldiers, does all the missions with the soldiers. When the bombs go off and the bullets start flying, he's in the bunkers with his soldiers. Mm -hmm. Um, He does everything with the soldiers. So when when soldiers see the chaplain around, I mean, all chaplains wear a cross on our uniform. So they automatically know who we are. Mm -hmm. And conversations, let's just say about religion, uh, and the end of life, I think, become more a part of natural conversation throughout the course of the day. Whereas back back home, you know, I could be a civilian pastor going into Walmart, <laughs> and you know, no one would know what I did. And the only conversation I might have is, you know, with the uh, the cash register clerk asking me for, you know. Am I going to take paper or plastic? <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's no bullets flying around on a regular exactly. basis. Exactly. Can you talk about, I guess, the unique needs of the men in uniform, you know, being a, in, in a constant, you know, sort of state of combat and the things that they have seen or are seeing and what kind of unique ministry that you have to serving those men and women? Sure. I was telling uh, Lindsay earlier that my uh, I'm, I'm actually the son of an Army chaplain. My dad came on active duty in 1976. Um, during that time, we had just come out of Vietnam. We weren't going to war. Um, we were relatively an Army that was training for the possibility of something, mm-hmm. but you never really did it. Yeah. And then the Gulf War happened. Um, and so the Gulf War ran for 100 hours. My dad was deployed for that, I think, for nine months. I came home and kind of went back to, you know, an army or a a military that was training for the possibility of something, but it never really happening. So you could conceivably do a 20-year career and never go to war, mm-hmm. never get a chance to uh, to practice your craft, you know, in in the defense of the nation. 
when 9-11 happened, everything changed. Mm -hmm. People's futures totally morphed, and the families totally morphed into a world that no one expected. Mm -hmm. When we went into Afghanistan the first time, none of us expected that we would be you know, still in Afghanistan now, what, 14 years later. Mm-hmm. When we went into Iraq, none of us expected that we would be in Iraq for as long as we were. <clears throat> so how that played out on the needs of the soldiers is um, soldiers and chaplains, when they come in the military, regardless of what branch of service you're coming to, you come in in a state of war, which means separation is going to be a part of your life. Mm-hmm. You will do six months, nine months, 12 months, 15 months in a combat zone away from your family. Your family is constantly waiting by the TV and the phone. <laughs> you know, and any time the news comes on and mentions anything about Afghanistan or Iraq, you know, the family members' ears get peeled to the TV, hoping and praying for any kind of information about their level. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, all the while the soldiers in, you know, deployed in combat, now we're we're not getting shot at every day. We really aren't. I've I've told other people many times that going to combat is hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of boredom huh. punctuated by a few minutes of absolute bedlam and terror. Wow. Well, if if I could follow up on that, you know, you're talking about kind of the separation with families and, and that's one of the things where someone like yourself can really, you know, really has your hands full in terms of dealing with, with the men and, and trying to be fathers and husbands, but, but mm-hmm. also being deployed and kind of what the these long deployments and multiple deployments do to the families. So maybe talk about sort of the impact it has on families. And I guess secondly, you know, where we kind of are in Afghanistan now and sort of, you know, the soldiers kind of feel like the people here have you know, maybe aren't as paying attention as much to the war or maybe oh, yeah. not oh, as yeah. appreciated as much and kind of what that sure. does to their psyche as well. Sure. Multiple deployments for soldiers uh, have, in one sense, taught families how to live on a band-aided reality. Soldiers are kind of told uh, that when you get to a unit, if it is an operational unit, meaning a kind, meaning a kind of unit, that the poison goes to war rather than you know, a garrison support type job, mm-hmm. that out of three years, you will likely be deployed for one year. Another chaplain gave me a statistic a while back, and I can't remember where he got the information from, but he said that a study was done on soldiers in terms of how long it takes them to really feel like they're home when they get back. And what they found out was that for every day a soldier is deployed, it takes roughly about two days to really feel like you can emotionally unpack. So if a soldier is deployed for 12 months, that means when he gets home or when she gets home, it takes roughly about two years of being home before they feel like they can really start to unpack. Wow. Unfortunately, what, what soldiers and families have had to endure is multiple deployments and never really feeling like that when you come back from war, you're home. Mm-hmm. Because when you do your first deployment, there's a sense of excitement. You know, hey, I joined the military to serve my country, and this is a national defense force, so my job you know, is to defend the nation in combat. 
So there's a certain amount of excitement when you do your first deployment. When you do your second deployment, you feel like, okay, I know how to do this now so I can do it a little bit better. By the time you do your third deployment, you really start to feel like that you have two lives that run simultaneously, two lives, one body, deployed life and home life. And oftentimes for soldiers, home life is merely the um, the way station, if you will, in preparation for deploying again. So what that means for families is families go through anxiety of deployments, separation, you know, the families that uh, have a deployment that happens to them and life is not good before they leave. Um, oftentimes deployments makes it even more painful or will end a relationship, end a marriage. For the families that survive and the soldier comes back, you know, family members are always excited to see their, their service member home, but what the service member quickly realizes is for the six months, the nine months, the year that I've been gone, my spouse has had to do the job of two people. You know, it's had to be everything for the family, hold down the family. And oftentimes when the soldier comes home, trying to figure out where do I fit? Well, if the soldier knows that, Hey, I'm going to be home for 12 months or 18 months, and then I'm going to deploy again, then the chances of a soldier not having to work through the struggles of getting back into the family, being a leader or you know, being a supporter, or provider for the home, you know, being the emotional stability and all that stuff is really, really high. So, you know, you kind of learn you learn coping skills for about twelve to eighteen months because you know in twelve to eighteen months you're gonna go to war again. And we've seen that portrayed most recently in movies like American Sniper, yep. where you watched him go back to constant deployments and the strain that that took on his family. Oh, yeah. When when I came back from from my fourth deployment, I had been gone for 14 months, um, and I'm, I'm single, no wife, no children, not my choice. <laughs> you know, God, God's got a reason for that, and I'm, you know, trusting that he will provide otherwise, but... Um, you know, I did four on, I, I had done my fourth deployment and when I came home, I told my mom and dad, <clears throat> I said, I am not, when we, when we go on block leave after we turn in all our stuff, you know, we do all our redeployment classes and the unit goes on leave on vacation for a month. I said, I'm not coming home. My mom and dad said, why? I said, I've been deployed for so long. I said, I'm, I'm feeling disconnected from my country. Uh, I'm feeling uh, kind of spiritually dry and I just need to get alone. So, and mom and dad understood. Um, so I got on the back of my motorcycle and I did a 30 day motorcycle ride from the East coast to the West coast, turned around, came back, had some phenomenal time with just me and God and seeing God's creation. Um, you know, saw the country that I've been fighting for and it helped a good bit. Um, but even then, after my fourth deployment, um, it was almost three years before I felt like I can, I can unpack my rucksack. I can take my duffel bag and shake everything out, put it in boxes, and not feel like I have to you know, deploy again. Right. Um, 
So, you know, even for the single soldiers, mm-hmm. um, it, it can be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, life is never the same. Um, there is, there is a, a psychological expectation for every soldier that when they redeploy, when they come home, they come home to the day after they left. Right. So what, whatever the, the family was like and all that stuff, but that, that doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> so. Cause it's changed. So what are some ways as the church, so to speak, stationed here in America, mm-hmm. how can we support the soldiers, the chaplains, and then the families of soldiers and chaplains? Mm-hmm. Um, my first comment is going to sound uh, cliche, uh, but I've never felt it. I've never felt it as, as real as I did on this deployment. Prayer right. um, is, you know, in the church, we, we talk about prayer almost like it's a gumball that you, you know, buy out of a machine. You know, you want something, you go to the machine, drop a quarter, you know, you get your answer kind of deal. Um, and it's sad that in the church, um, that lifeline that we have with God, prayer, uh, is oftentimes um, viewed as less of a priority in the, the life of an individual trying to follow after God. Mm-hmm. Um, for soldiers and, you know, specifically for chaplains, prayer is unbelievably invaluable. Um, I came out here as an individual deploying soldier. I, I did not deploy with the unit. So I knew nobody here, absolutely no one. Well, a month before I left, I started praying for the, um, the commander and the chief of staff. I knew their names, but I didn't know them. And I just said, all right, Lord, I don't know who these people are. I'm going to be working for them. Um, all I can do is pray for them. And so I asked my mom and dad to pray and my family to pray. And so they'd been doing that the whole time. Um, I've gotten, my goodness, there, there's not a week that goes by that I don't get some email card, you know, care package or something for people saying, um, we pray for you every day and listing the specifics. So prayer, number one, is, is, is absolutely the number one. Mm-hmm. Um, for the churches and the communities back home, care packages, personal notes, pictures, things like that are great. They really are. Um, soldiers, they, they, they thrive on that stuff. You know, if you didn't get anything like that over here, um, after a month, you know, life would be re- really, really bad. One of the big things, though, that I think that uh, churches and the communities back home can do is take care of the family members that are at home waiting for their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you've got uh, a wife with small children or, you know, a father with small children, and he's having or she's having to do their job and then play, you know, you know, soccer mom and soccer dad escort. And then, oh, by the way, the car broke down and you get the phone call from the school. You know, little Johnny is sick. You need to come pick him up. So then you have to go take him to the doctor. And, oh, by the way, you got to do, go do grocery shopping and you have to pay bills. And the family members, in fact, we talk about this literally every single week out here. The soldiers will talk about our family members pay the greatest price for a deployment. Mm-hmm. For soldiers... This is going to sound weird. Deployment is kind of simple. You come over here, you have one job. Mm-hmm. 
you get your mission, you do your mission, you come back, drop your gear, get some food, get some rest, wake up the next next day, do whatever the mission is. Back home, life is considerably more complicated because your soldier, your dad, your mom, your husband, your wife, your you know carpool driver, your makeshift mechanic, all of that stuff. Well, when the soldier deploys and the families are left back home, they have to do everything. So if churches would find out, you know, who are, you know, even in, in, you know, in the church communities, who of our family members, who of our church members, you know, are currently here by themselves because they've got a family member that's deployed, you know, Mm -hmm. you get those names and you start assigning people in church. Hey, on this particular day, help them out with cutting the grass, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, bake a cake, take it over to them, volunteer to pick up the kids, Mm you know, from school, um, you know, volunteer to uh, watch the children on the night so that mom or dad has, you know, a few hours just to catch their breath. Um, when soldiers over here know that their family members are being taken care of, and especially when they know that other people in the community or other churches are watching over their family members until we get home, um, not only is that a huge burden lifted off our shoulders, um, but it invigorates us even more to do well, you know, to be alert to our surroundings and the plans of the bad people and to make good decisions. I've seen it numerous times. Soldiers will come out here and, you know, the separation will just wreak havoc on their families and the families back home have nobody. And uh, after a few months, you know, the... I've got Private Smith, Private Jones coming into my office. Chaplain, I need to talk to you. Closes the door, eyes well up with tears, hangs his head. He's like, she's leaving me. That's, that, I hate to say that, but that is an all-too-common occurrence in the military, especially on deployment. Yeah. Well, if communities and churches back home would invest in the lives of the the family members that are having to really pay the biggest price for a deployment and assist them with just daily stuff. That's the, you know, giving a glass of cold water like Jesus talked about. Mm-hmm. Those little things and taking care of life, you know, it relieves a burden from all the soldiers over here like like no one would, would understand. It's, it's a huge deal. Mm. Well, Chaplain Riggs, we really thank you for taking time out of your day to join us from Afghanistan. We're grateful for the service that you do, the ministry. You're ministering to the men and women who are protecting us and allowing us to have the freedoms we do in America to uh, to worship freely and, and to, to be prosperous and all that we're blessed with here. And so we just really appreciate your service and your time, and uh, thank you for the good word and the challenge to us as the church to... Uh, to care for these uh, men and women who are uh, being deployed and coming home. And uh, we're going to be praying for you specifically. And uh, thank you for joining the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. I want to thank Chaplain Riggs for that great conversation, helping us think through what it looks like to do ministry to military men and women in our communities. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by sending us an email, wayhome at erlc.com, or perhaps writing a review on iTunes or Stitcher? 
If you're interested in our other conversations with other Christian leaders such as David Platt, Matt Chandler, Molly Hemingway, Karen Swallow Pryor, Johnny Moore, others, please check out the podcast page at danieldarling.com or at erlc.com slash podcast. You can also find information about our special event at the SBC with Nine Marks Ministries. But until then, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Mm-hmm.